Welcome to the Development Policy Centre. In this podcast, you'll hear a discussion of the effectiveness of the GFG, or Governance for Growth Programme. The GFG is a Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade-supported institutional strengthening programme that has been running in Vanuatu for 10 years. The programme was recently the subject of two in-depth reviews, one led by the Overseas Development Institute and the other by a team of DFAT staff. In this recording, you'll hear a panel discussion between Bob Warner, visiting fellow at Dev Policy and a member of the GFG review team, and DFAT staff who were involved in the programme. We hope you enjoy this podcast. All right, uh, hello everyone. Welcome to the ANU and to the Crawford School of Public Policy. Uh, my name is Matthew Donner. I'm the Deputy Director of the Development Policy Centre um, here at the Crawford School. Uh, I want to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Ngunnawal people, and uh, paying respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Um, I also just want to point out um, this new banner of ours, the Pacific Research Program banner. Um, this is the first event um, that we uh, that is supporting uh, that is being supported by the um, Pacific Research Program or the PRP, which is a, a new DFAT-funded um, initiative aimed at facilitating research um, and discussion uh, on the Pacific, and which Dev Policy um, is very pleased um, to be a part of, along with other partners um, at ANU, the Department of Pacific Affairs, uh, once called SSGM, um, and also the Lowy Institute. Um, We're here to speak about the Governance for Growth program. Um, I'll be very brief here. Um, This discussion, I guess, takes place um, on the back of two uh, reviews um, of the Governance for Growth program, which is now 10 years um, old. Um, One review um, by ODI looking at the how or or the way in which um, Governance for Growth works politically in Vanuatu, Um, and the second review looking at the what, looking at the outcomes um, of the Governance for Growth program um, to date. Um, You'll have seen from the um, promotional material that we have a fairly long list of speakers, and there's actually an additional one um, to add to that list, um, but they all assure me that they'll um, be... um, be very succinct and keep to time. So um, we'll hear first of all from um, Pablo Kang, who is Assistant Secretary of the Melanesia branch at DFAT um, and uh, was formerly Head of Mission in Vanuatu. He'll provide a brief um, five-minute introduction to today's uh, discussion. We'll then hear from uh, Matthew Harding. Um, Matthew was um, the Manager of Governance for Growth for what was it, four years, I think, Um, and has only recently returned back to Canberra, but he's now the director of the Pacific Economic Growth Section within DFAT. Um, And he'll be, um, I guess, providing an overview of uh, Governance for Growth uh, and also discussing um, the uh, ODI um, review um, of the program. We'll then move to Vanuatu. We have a number of pre-recorded talks um, that we'll be playing for you. Um, uh, Grigor Nimtik um, is the Director of Department of Strategic Planning, Policy and Aid Coordination, or DISPAC, um, in the Prime Minister's office. Uh, he'll be providing a Government of Vanuatu view uh, on Governance for Growth. Um, he's also been Chairman of the Governance for Growth Management Committee for a number of years, so he's well-placed to speak about it. Uh, Jennifer uh, Kolpakas um, Duan um, is Senior Program Management Manager of um, Governance for Growth, um, has worked in the program for about 10 years as well. Um, so she'll be talking about her experiences um, with the program, um, as will uh, Clinton um, Popke, um, who um, is Matt's replacement um, as Manager uh, of Governance for Growth. 
And then last but certainly not least, um, Bob Warner here, um, who I should say really put together this whole session. So thank you, Bob, for, for arranging it. Um, Bob will be um, presenting um, the, the second review that I mentioned, um, looking at the outcomes of governance for growth to date. Um, Bob is a visiting fellow here at the Development Policy Centre, but was also a member of the, um, the review team um, for DFAT. So um, without further ado, I'll, I'll pass over to um, Pablo. Thanks, Matt. Hi, everyone. Um, could I also add my uh, acknowledgement to the traditional owners of the land in which we meet the Ngunnawal people and pay my respect to the elders past and present and acknowledge uh, the presence of any uh, people of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent in the room with us today. Uh, thanks all for, for coming along. Uh, conscious there is quite a list, uh, so I'll try and be uh, brief. Um, uh, as Matt said, I was uh, Australian High Commissioner to Vanuatu in the early days, or relatively early days, of the GFG program in 2009-2010. Uh, my current role is basically managing the branch in DFAT that uh, looks after our relations with Vanuatu, and also with Solomon Islands and Fiji. So I'm very glad to have that ongoing uh, link to all things Vanuatu. And always very happy to talk about Vanuatu and, and the work that both our countries do together, not just, of course, in the aid program, a significant part of our relationship, but by no means the, the sole driver. We, we share a lot of uh, common political and strategic and security interests, uh, both at the regional level and multilaterally uh, with Vanuatu. Um, in fact, I was there a couple of weeks ago. We have annual security talks, which um, are always a good opportunity to discuss the regional outlook and, and uh and share our perspectives. Um, Vanuatu is also a very reliable um, uh, partner for us in forums such as the Pacific Islands Forum. Uh, we know that after the uh, recent uh, leaders meeting uh, in Samoa, um, there's a lot of interest in uh, trying to build on uh, the regional collaboration in security experience that we all shared through the regional assistance mission to Solomon Islands, for example, of which Vanuatu was a key uh, contributor, and that's being taken forward now through uh, discussions on a new uh, regional security declara declaration, which has been um, colloquially termed Bikatawa Plus, following the initial Bikatawa declaration in 2000. Uh, and of course, um, we are very focused on uh, Vanuatu's economic growth trajectory. Of course, a lot of uh, GFG's work is in that space. Um, particularly focused on tourism, obviously, which is, you know, 40% of GDP and growing. Uh, and unfortunately, also a couple of uh, very major um, uh, natural disasters have, uh, of course, in the last couple of years facilitated a lot of Australian government humanitarian uh, and uh, defence involvement in Vanuatu, following, of course, Cyclone Pam, and then more recently the uh, volcanic eruption on the island of Ambai. Um, just on our aid program, uh, so for those of you who don't necessarily uh, read the DFAT fact sheets on a regular basis, but um, it's just under $70 million uh, for 2017-18, so it's a significant program. It's the fourth largest program that we run in the Pacific. It's governed by our recently signed uh, aid partnership uh, with Vanuatu, which was signed in December last year. Um, and as you'd expect, has a, has a focus on numerous priority sectors that we both mutually identified, especially in the areas of health, uh, education, 
law and justice uh, infrastructure and governance. Um, the approach that we do try and take is to work in support of sectoral budgets uh, where possible to build uh, ownership and capacity within the Vanuatu government itself. 16% um, of our aid program is through direct support to sectoral budgets. That was the percentage in 2016-17, and that's quite a quite a reasonable percentage by um, Melanesian standards. Um, and obviously making sure that the work that we do is very closely aligned with the government of Vanuatu's own policies and priorities. Um, it's a very uh, diverse uh, program that we run. Uh, it includes, for example, things such as maintenance of rural roads networks. So over 1,180 kilometres of rural roads that we maintained in 2016-17, um, particularly emphasising their linkage between communities and markets for goods and services. Um, things such as increasing the number of children that are fully immunised nationwide under our health program. Um, so that percentage went from about a third uh, in 2013 to uh, just over two thirds in, in 2016. That's for children aged up to five years of uh, five years old. Uh, and of course, Cyclone Pam, as I mentioned. Uh, which sort of gets me, I guess, to, to sort of introducing the topic of GFG. I mean, we do uh, recognise the power of trying to do things a bit differently. Uh, as you probably all know, innovation is a bit of a buzzword in the aid program in recent years, but um, we do regard the GFG program as a, as a forerunner of, or maybe a precursor to that now official focus on innovation in the aid program, what we call working um, politically. And... Uh, in support of locally-led um, governance and economic uh, reforms. And we're very um, proud of GFG. And I was saying to Bob earlier, you know, sometimes we have to just rein that in a bit because it could sort of end up being like a bit of a uh, self-congratulatory backslap if, if we're not careful. And we understand, and I'm sure that will be discussed uh, later today by those who've been more closely involved in the program in recent years about some of the challenges. Um, um, the program is is unique in a lot of ways. Um, you know, one of the things that makes it very unique, I guess, is that um, the officers aren't GFG officers aren't based physically in the Australian High Commission. Uh, they are inside the Vanuatu Prime Minister's office, um, so quite separate physically. Obviously, facilitates very good relationships, but gives officers the chance to um, really understand um, at the coalface government priorities. Uh, and not just priorities, but also, just as importantly, systems and processes. Um, over the last decade, there's been some significant achievements. I'm sure the telecommunications sector reform is probably well known to uh, many of you. The liberalisation of the market, the introduction, I guess, of Digicel through the breakup of the telecommunications monopoly and establishing the regulatory framework uh, around that, which you know, essentially uh, exponentially increased mobile coverage, in particular in Vanuatu, uh, in a period of about five years. Coupled with that, uh, maybe not as well known, but GFG did help establish the Office of the Government Chief Information Officer um, and helped to develop the universal access policy that that office rolled out in 2014. Um, and that has a, a target to uh, expand coverage in the telecommunications sector to 98% of Vanuatu by the 1st of January 
next year. It's also helped improve the affordability of uh, broadband internet services across the country. Um, other things, other examples of successes that I just wanted to briefly highlight, um, provided a lot of assistance through the GFG program to assist the National Bank of Vanuatu to expand its access uh, for financial services in rural areas. And over 6,000 new bank accounts, for example, opened last year, of which just under half, about 45%, um, uh, in, owned by women. Um, and more recently, we've been doing uh, some, I guess, more, un, more sort of behind the scenes work uh, around tax policy, which is a, a major reform initiative of the Vanuatu government, and also in terms of um, uh, helping Vanuatu to um, improve its status on the Financial Action Task Force uh, uh, grey list, where it is at the moment. Um, two reviews of the program were conducted last year, one by Bob here from the ANU, uh, and one by the Overseas Development Institute. Um, and you'll, you'll hear, obviously, about both of those, um, essentially, which they basically substantiated the program's modality and approach uh, and confirmed the value of this type of long-term commitment to support reforms which are very much locally led. Um, as I said before, we don't, um, we don't want to sort of um, blow the trumpet 100%. There are initiatives where traction has been more difficult to secure, and hopefully there'll be a bit of a discussion around some of those, and you know, even within DFAT management and organisational challenges, um, which are a direct flow on from having a program that is um, essentially off-site. Um, but uh, with those sort of brief introductory comments, I wanted to thank you all very much for attending and hope you find the seminar useful and that there's a good opportunity for some uh, Q&A later on. Thank you. Thanks very much, Pablo. Uh, my pardon. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so thank you very much to the ANU uh, for hosting this event. Um, as as uh, Matt introduced, I, I ran the GFG program uh, from about August 2013 until April of this year. Um, so I was a third uh, Australian-based uh, manager of the program, so there's two, two before me, which gives you a sense, I guess, of how long the program's been around for. Um, I'm going to try and be as brief as possible, and certainly within my time limits, otherwise I think Matt's threatened to sort of come and physically throw me off the stage. Um, I guess this is, I've been back since in my new role in DFAT since May, um, so this is the first taste I guess of 
the fact that I think what people tend to find is that Vanuatu tends to draw you back in um, even after, long after you've left. So this was um, a, a, a nice, um, I guess, a nice thing to sit down and try and think about what I might be able to say um, in this space, which is, I guess, is about setting the scene for the program um, and also focusing a little bit on that Overseas Development Institute review, um, which really tried to look, I think, at how GFG has, has tried to work uh, politically um, for want of a better word, um, which which now I guess is its own sort of set of literature and things like that. But I think when the program was set up, it, it, I don't think it was really a thing. It was just sort of the way the program was designed. Um, so I'll, I'll kick off. Um, so just in terms of, that's sort of basically what I'll cover. I think I should put a slide in like that. That's what we do. Um, so first of all, just a bit of history, um, which might be of interest to people. Gives I think it is interesting to kind of see where the program came from, because um, it gives you a bit of an idea about why it looks the way it does and, and why it's trying to do the things that it's trying to do. Um, so that that leads on to kind of some of Australia's earlier um, investments in in, a sim in the economic growth space in Vanuatu, so predating Vanuatu um, governance for growth. And then after that, we'll talk about the GFG program itself and the evaluation, um, the, over, the ODI evaluation. So back in, and look, there's people, I think, here that have um, a longer history in Vanuatu than I do that can, can, can correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in about the mid-1990s, Vanuatu was facing some, um, some serious challenges. Um, economic growth was, was largely stagnant. Um, the country was, I think, pretty close to a full-blown um, macroeconomic crisis. Certainly the fiscal situation had deteriorated quite a lot. Um, there was a lot of political instability and that's, that's a feature of Vanuatu uh, politics, but I think that it was particularly um, acute at that point. And um, there was also even some, some social unrest, which is not something that you commonly see in Vanuatu, but there certainly was around some political interference in the, in the National Provident Fund at the time. So I think in, in that context, um, there were some discussions held with, some, with multilateral partners and ultimately what was called the Comprehensive Reform Program by the ADB was um, developed in 1997 and 1998. Um, I guess I'm not going to get into the CRP. Uh, it's pretty controversial in Vanuatu about how successful it was um, at achieving its objective, which was essentially to, to stabilise the country and to, 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 to drive economic growth. Um, but there's a lots of moving parts to it, um, and, and some of those parts move, sort of lead into sort of what became the, the, the Governance for Growth Program. But to give you a sense of like of the sorts of things that it looked at, you know, quite um, major tax reform, um, you know, large structural changes to the tax system, intro introduction of the value-added tax, major public sector reforms, including I think a 10, 15 percent, I think it was, um, cut in the size of the public service. So quite drastic reforms, um, and also a number of long long-term institutional strengthening programs, which I'll get to next. So two of these institutional strengthening programs were, um, were funded by Australia through the CRP. Um, one was what was called the MFEM Institutional Strengthening Program. So MFEM is the Ministry of Finance and Economic Management. So it's responsible for economic policy and uh, budget management in the country. And the other one was the Public Service Reform Program, which was run out of the Public Service Commission. So these programs ran for about eight years, from 1998 to 2006. And as you can see, um, quite a lot of money was spent on them through the Australian Aid Program. That's about you know, $37, 38000000 million altogether, um, which was about a quarter of Australia's aid over that period. 
These were reviewed uh, in 2006 um, through an in independent uh, completion report in AusAid at the time. And I think where I'm getting to with this is that the, the key findings out of that review, I, I, I think, really led into sort of what the government's growth program design uh, talked about and the way the program was structured. And I, you know, I just highlighted a couple of, of, of key findings there. I think the, the reviews generally found that both programs were, um, were successful in, in different ways. Um, probably the public service reform project in less successful, relatively speaking. Um, and that one of the key drivers for the MFEM ISP success was its, its approach to capacity building and, its, um, and the, way that it, the, the, the way that the program was managed, so much more embedded in the government structures um, compared to the, to the PSRP. Um, but another finding was that both, both of these programs, but particularly the MFEM ISP, had skewed Australia's um, economic growth agenda in the A program towards um, more the PFM financial management and civil service reform. And that, that probably meant that we were missing out on opportunities um, to, to, to promote growth elsewhere. So GFG, um, onto the topic. Uh, so what I've highlighted here, I think, is that some of the, you know, drawing on the, the, the lessons from the ISP programs um, that were run by AusAid in the late 90s and early 2000s, I think the key, the key lessons that the program really built on, you know, in terms of the relative successes and, 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 and less successful parts of those programs, were really the, the importance of a long-term commitment. And again, GFG's initial um, Obviously, the phase of the program and the way our budget system works only lets us commit you know, to a certain point, but certainly the intent of the original design was for a 10-year um, commitment, which obviously we've just sort of come to the end, end of. Um, the second point is that our programs in this space in Vanuatu need to be flexible. Um, it, obviously, the political landscape is, is, is quite um, dynamic and can be quite unstable, so you need a mechanism to, 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 to respond to shifting priorities. And obviously to do that in a way that doesn't compromise you know, what you're trying to do through the program fundamentally. I think the importance of not trying to, to, to go for the best practice um, reforms and, and the kind of, I guess, the, the on paper um, sort of most uh, valuable reforms, but needing to work with what's politically feasible and what actually has support in the government. That was a key, as a fundamental part of the program design. The importance of partnerships, so establishing trust and building relationships. Um, was pretty much at the heart of the, the design and still is at the heart of the program today. Um, a broader focus on economic growth. So the program um, has always sort of had these twin objectives. One is to promote broad-based economic growth through things like regulatory reform and, and other economic reforms. And the other one is to look at um, how the, the public financial management systems can be improved, but with an aim of in, in improving service delivery. So that was building on that observation that you know, some of the ISP work was sort of um, was viewed to be kind of very systems oriented and, and perhaps didn't have that broader focus. And I think the last the last point that certainly resonated um, in those reviews and that was sort of definitely um, picked up as a as a as an overriding philosophy for GFG was the importance of that direct oversight and management on on the Australian side. Um, so much less reliance on um, on TA and contractors and things like that, and, and recognising the value of a direct partnership between. Um, the Australian government and the Vanuatu government. 
So this is more background, but I, the order's probably a bit a bit cocked on this. Probably should have done this first, but anyway, um, I did it late last night. So the, the program itself started in 2007, um, and, I, and what I've listed here, I guess, in addition to those other principles, I guess, these to me are the key are the key kind of features of the program, or the the features of the program that maybe are a bit different than than other programs that you see, um, other similar programs that you see in other countries. Um, obviously, Pablo's already touched on the the co-location, I think that's quite a unique uh, feature. You do see embedded programs elsewhere in the A program. They're usually embedded with contractor staff. It's unusual, I think, to see an embedded program with actual um, Australian government staff um, staffing the program. The design itself, both of, well, three of the designs now, but certainly the first two that I'm, uh, the, 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 well, the second one that I worked on and the first one, and, and also indeed the new one that's just been signed off, are, are quite strategic in nature. They're not detailed. Uh, program designs with you know, schedules of activities and, and quite specified, um, you know, I guess, activity level information, but they are designed to be flexibly implemented. Um, the program has always had and still retains, I think, um, a degree of built-in budget flexibility. So what I mean by that is it's, it's all well and good to say we're going to be flexi flexible and iterative, but if you don't have a budget mechanism to do that, then obviously it becomes very hard when actually someone wants to do something flexibly if you don't actually have the mechanism to do it. So the program itself has, typically it's had a, pro a budget of around $5 million a year, um, and that pays for everything, it pays for staff and all sorts of things. But typically, you know, up to 20% of that is typically flexible in that at the start of the financial year when we do our budgets, it's not, it's not aligned to a particular activity or a particular sector. So it's ge genuinely there to respond to priorities as they emerge, or indeed to kind of come in behind things that are working um, in other parts of the program, put more money into them. Um, the, 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 the management committee of the program, the GFG management committee, is a senior management committee and it's chaired by the Vanuatu government. Um, so Gregoire, who we'll hear from next, I think, um, is the current director of DESPAC and that, that person is the chair of the management committee. Now again, we, in DFAT and even before in AUSA, we, we sometimes tie ourselves up in knots about what this all means, you know, in terms of who's approving budgets and stuff. We generally, we just don't, we, we, everybody knows how it works, but we don't go out of our way to say, well, the management committee isn't really a, an approval point because all the approvals have to be you know, approved by the Australian government. So we sort of just don't have that conversation, but things are understood, I guess. And I think in other cases I've seen in other programs where we have advisory boards and things like that, you know, I think sometimes we get unhelpfully sometimes sort of stressed that you're an advisory board, you, know, you don't actually have any say over the budget. Well, I think most people understand that. And that's certainly the range we have at the management committee. It's an advisory committee, yes. Um, if they really don't want to do something, then um, we wouldn't do it. But equally, if they really wanted to do something that we didn't want to do, well, we would find a way to, to work that out. Um, but we would do it without creating, I guess, a, a rupture in the, in the relationship. Um, the other thing, which is not unique to the GFG, but it's worth mentioning, is that, is that the, the, the program delivers through a range of mechanisms. So government funding, direct funding to the Vanuatu government is probably the most um, prominent. But we also do direct contracting and, and funding through multilateral partners. So the Overseas Development Institute review, so this is the part of the evaluation that I'll touch on, um, and Bob will handle the other part of it. Um, so it, it talks about this thinking and working politically, um, and I think there are other configurations of this. I think there's doing, dif doing development differently is another way you can put it. But basically it looks at GFG in these, in these terms, basically how it brokers relationships, how it identifies problems, supports local le leadership, iterates solutions, um, 
how it uses flexibility and long-term commitment to advance objectives. I've included a link there because I assume this, um, these presentations will be sent around to people. So if you want to look at the full report, that's, um, that's the link there. But so that's the kind of that's the framework that they use to look at the program. Um, I guess I tried to summarise the findings in one slide, which is difficult because it's quite a quite a quite a long report. Um, and I guess coming back to Pablo's point about you know being uh, honest about things and, and realistic and not obviously we, we like the program, we think it's done some good things, but that both of the reviews I think were, were helpful in that they looked at the successes as well as um, some of the areas that you know, perhaps the program hadn't done as well or perhaps things that had changed over time. So the ADI re review, if I could summarise it, sort of um, sort of found that GFG was um, a really powerful example of, of the role of brokering relationships in, in managing particularly these time kind of central central agency, central government um, aid relationships, you know, in quite in sometimes in quite sensitive areas. Um, it, it found that it was uh, quite successful in promoting local leadership. So the program was sort of predicated on working with uh, reform champions or, or whatever sort of term you want to you want to make it. But that was sort of that was quite a big part of the, the program design was that um, in some cases, yes, you can get broad political support for something. But in other cases, you, that's probably not going to be feasible in Vanuatu. But in a country like Vanuatu, but you can um, still do things if you have people at the, in the right place that can do the type of things that need to be done to sort of push something through. Um, and again, providing that flexible long-term funding commitment was, was something else that the ODI review found was, was quite a positive feature of the program. In terms of some, some challenges or some, some other observations they had that perhaps weren't as, weren't as positive, they found that the, the relationships perhaps weren't as strong as, as in the early days of the program. Um, my, my personal view on this is that, that that is probably true in that when the program first started, um, it had this sort of... Yeah, it's it's part of it's almost part of the Aussie canon. You know, like GFG had this sort of mythology around it, which was kind of you know, as Pablo said, sometimes could could sort of look a little bit overblown. Um, you know, I think in the Vanuatu, in the mind of the Vanuatu government, I think that that they also have that kind of they hold this sort of this sort of standard up from from the early days of two thousand and seven when things were pretty loose and free, and and we we came into something where we really wanted to get something done, and we were willing to cut corners a bit. On certain things, you know, make things easier for the government. So that was always the frame of reference that, that people in government had in mind. So of course, when you start to bring things back and say we need to have a look and, you know, we need to sort of align this with our current um, policy priorities or our current organisational structures, of course, people then go, well, the relationships aren't as strong. So I think it's true, but I think you know it, it was a natural evolution for the program. I don't think it could have kept going the way it was going earlier in the early days. Uh, it was it was it was working that way for a particular reason. Um, they found that the, the focus on administration, which, um, which I think was partly due to, again, the fact that the administration was simplified in the early days, if I can say that. Um, so then, of course, when we, when we decided that we needed to be probably a bit more um, compliant with our um, internal rules and processes, for example, that, that increases the load. When you're implementing the program yourself, you don't have a managing contractor to help you do that. Obviously, this, that puts a high burden on the staff. I do think over time our systems have become a bit more cumbersome and bulky. I, I do think in recently in DFAT that that, that that actually has begun to be some real movement back towards things being a bit simpler. Um, I think it, there was a lot of rhetoric for a long time about simplifying things, but I didn't see very much actual simplification. But 
I think all those things combined to sort of mean that the stress and the burden on the staff to do that administration did increase over time. And of course, you've only got so many hours in the day, so that reduces the time you have to do other things that probably um, a lot of people would think were probably higher value for the program. Um, last one is that the, the, the sort of a perceived um, reduction in autonomy on the government, the Vanuatu government side, um, relating to, I think again, you know, the halcyon days, you know, and then you know, sort of things having to be naturally sort of brought back into the fold a little bit more, but also things like the defat Aussie integration played into that sense that you know things were different and it wasn't the same as it used to be, um, and I think that. There is also a fundamentally a different landscape for delivering our aid in, 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 in our partner countries now with the integration of AusAid and DFAT. Um, that does change things. I mean, the High Commissioner in Vanuatu now is responsible for the aid program, you know, whereas before, you know, when Pablo was there, the High Commissioner was responsible for the mission and certainly would get involved on aid program things, but wasn't on a day-to-day -day sort of basis involved in signing off on decisions on the aid program. So that, that both makes things easier, but it, it can also create challenges. Um, these are my challenges. Uh, these are not necessarily things that were picked up in the ODI, ODI review, but for the future of the program. Obviously, it's a mature program. Um, so, you know, if, if there was low-hanging fruit, I think it's been, it's been taken off and it's been, um, you know, like, I'm not saying the telecom stuff was easy, but those sort of, those sort of reform, big bang kind of reforms, there aren't too many of them um, left now. I think sustain. So I think the first point there about sustaining effort, you know, seeing reforms through. This stuff takes a long time. Uh, so on both sides, there needs to be a sustained effort. There needs to be recognition that sometimes things would have stopped for years, even. Um, and there needs to be a, a, a recognition of that. And there needs to be a way of capturing information that that and and sort of institutional memory and I guess just shared knowledge between the partners that. You know, just because something is stalled for, for a while doesn't mean it's off the table forever and that there, there is that possibility of coming back to it. And we've seen lots of examples of that um, that still haven't actually led to anything. But for one example is the Commodities Marketing Board in, in Vanuatu. So that um, GFG has been involved in one way or another with that, reforming that since the, 2000, since the start of the program and was still involved to, to the time that I left. It's still not solved, but it's still kind of going and it might get somewhere eventually. Um, complacency, I think, on the government, Vanuatu government side, um, not necessarily, I wouldn't say complacency is the right word for us, but there's a complacency, there can be a risk that complacency creeps in on the Vanuatu government side. Um, they do sort of see GFG as part of the furniture, and I think those of us that were involved in some of the conversations internally, particularly around the integration, but also around the, the design of phase three, um, it's not something that should be taken for granted, that, that, that we'll keep working this way, and uh, this, I think there's a subsequent point that's quite similar to that. Um, how, do you get, how do you get the balance right between structure and flexibility in the program? So how do you define what it is you're going to do and then measure how you're going against those things uh, while, not, um, while not losing the, one of the features that kind of makes the program um, as successful as it, as it is? Um, something that came up quite a lot in the evaluation and our former M&E advisor up there used to like to talk about was this idea of transactional versus transformational um, efforts, I guess, and reforms. Um, and there's a balance. I don't think it's, it's one or the other because, the, as I said, the opportunities for transformational reform are not, they don't come along every day. So you do need transactional things that, that still are useful but perhaps aren't going to be very um, sexy in an annual report or in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, one of our sort of public documents but that really do keep, help keep things um, ticking along in the bureaucracy there. 
but that's a, that's a forever a challenge because the transactional stuff takes up a lot of time. Um, so broadening and deepening relationships, I think, is an ongoing challenge. Um, the program, as I said before, was set up very much around a small cohort of um, senior public servants and, and a few politicians that um, knew the program and that actually were committed to a number of reforms that the program initially helped support. So those, some of those people are still around, but they've changed. Um, a lot's happened since then, or they're in different roles. Some of them have moved into politics. You know, so there is a need to sort of cultivate that um, next uh, next generation of reform champions. And, and might in a place the size of Vanuatu, it could only be half a dozen people. That's, that's sort of the level that we're talking about. But it's sort of identifying who those people are and what role the program can play in supporting them. Um, coming back to the you know, the complacency, continuing to build ownership um, and support for the for the way of doing business. I think that's very important on both sides. Um, I do, I used to talk to people in, in, Prime Minister, in, in PMO, for example, and you know, we relied a lot on the fact that they, had, that they knew why we were there, they knew what we were doing, and when a new set of political advisors came in with a new Prime Minister and started looking around going, who are these, you know, who are these Australians and what are they doing up here? You know, they managed that, we, didn't have, we never had to deal with that. You know, so it's very important that those people continue to support the way that we work and having us there. Um, because otherwise, obviously, that whole thing can kind of unravel quite quickly. But equally, on our side, as Pablo said, having an outposted office, um, you know, an unattached office, I think, is the, is the lingo, um, used to be perhaps a little bit more common. It's, it's quite uncommon now to have a, a structure like this where you have DFAT offices um, outside the High Commission. And this is an active dis and live discussion in the design of the new phase of the program. So that's something that I think we need to keep coming back to and testing. Um, and I guess, you know, rechecking re re and reinforcing that actually this is important for the program to, to keep being successful. Um, how do you maintain that direct oversight and management of the program while not killing yourself with the administrative burden? Final one um, is, is maintaining the quality of the people in the office. Um, and that's not, not at all a reflection of the quality of the people that are there now, but as people move on or as people change, it's very important that, particularly that locally engaged team in the office there, which is most of the office, so it's about five, it's one, one, one of us, one of, one of us Canberra-based people and then four local staff and that's pretty integral on that. The, the, I think the thing falls over if you can't, if you can't actually manage that um, because you don't have any credibility to engage with people, you just become a, uh, you become very uh, transactional and kind of people come to you, you know, like they would go to an ATM to get, draw money out basically, they won't actually engage on, on, on issues. So that's all from me, I hope I get to my time Matt. Um, but of course, I'll be happy to answer questions at the end. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much, Matt. So now we head over to Vanuatu. So we have um, two um, pre-recorded um, talks. Uh, the first one is from Gregoire Nimtik, um, who, as I said, is the uh, director of the Department of Strategic Planning, Policy, and Aid Coordination, or, or DISPAC, um, within the Prime Minister's office. Thank you, thank you, um, everyone. Thank you for the opportunity for inviting me to be part of this uh, discussions. And um, um, we had a chance with the review team when they come over to Vanuatu. But thank you for um, the opportunity for me to um, provide the perspectives uh, 
of the Vanuatu government on, uh, on the performance of the uh, governance for growth uh, since uh, the establishment. And um, as, a, as a director of the DESPAC and also a chairman of the governance for growth uh, committee, a management committee, I think uh, my view will be a bit biased in terms of how I see I see the governance for crowd and also being a German of the governance for uh, a management committee for quite a while now. Um, I think overall, overall, government is happy with the performance of the governance for crowd. Um, if we're going back since the establishment of the governance for crowd, I think we have achieved a lot of things. Um, um, in terms of the size and the degree, I think the governance for crowd have made a lot of great impacts. In the um, in the developments of Vanuatu, and um, not uh, uh, just to mention a few um, telecommunication um, reform, which a lot of people have referred to, um, and also um, I think the, the constructions of the Lapitasi Wharf um, is one of also um, a great initiative that governance for growth have assisted um, uh, government on it. But just to mention the two examples, um, in the overall, I think um, we see governance for growth um, as one of the um, critical initiatives that help in government fulfilling its uh, development objectives um, more in a more flexible manner. Um, and I think with the arrangements of the grant that the government, government has with the governance for growth, it makes works more easy uh, for governments to draw on the assistance from the governance for growth um, compared to the other development partners where they have a lot of processes that they need, the government needs to go through um, to just to negotiate for a simple things. Uh, that could could uh, take probably you know one or two days to make decision on, and uh, we see governance for growth model as one of the mechanisms that sort of like you know um, providing that uh, facilities more on a more quicker basis uh, that government wanted. So uh, I think, uh, like I've said, uh, in, in in the overall performance, I think uh, government is uh, looking forward to work closely with the governance for growth in the first three. Uh, building on, on the lessons we learned from the since the establishment of the governance for growth, I think uh, the government is well, uh, well happy, happy with the way that we do things with the governance for growth. And um, and I can, like I've said, I mean the greatest things that we find is different from other things is governance for growth is helping government uh, rather than taking a front, uh, front role is helping government, you know, start, like providing a. Uh, supports behind the government, so how government can achieve its uh, development objectives, and that, I think that's the things that uh, we see um, we see differently from other at the way the other development partners operate. I mean, we had a discussion of uh, of how uh, ADP come and wrote the policy for the governments, and um, I think there's a lot of argument that they are not supposed to write the policy for the governments. They're supposed to help in the government write the policy, and that's where. I think um, with the governance for growth um, models that we have, it's helping government uh, doing that. Rather than the, the road uh, policy for the governments, it's helping government achieve what government wants. I think that's a very important uh, lesson that we learn from the governance for growth. And, um, and as a consequence of that, um, government is friendly with the governance for growth. Um, they think it's a good model that should be remain with the governments. So as, uh, um, they are there. Um, they will always be with the government. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, I think in the natural. I mean, um, 
government is happy with the performance, and uh, we look forward to work together closely with the governments for growth in, uh, in, uh, in uh, during the first three, um, and then also in the future. Um, but this, this, like I've said, there are many things, but I just uh, single out one or two things that I think uh, it makes uh, governments, uh, you know, the way governments look at the GFC at the moment, I think it's uh, helping governments in that way. So um, I think um, I must say, like, within the coalition environments that we had, um, it's more easy for governments to point the finger um, if you want to do things rightly. And uh, I, think, uh, I think in the past, in the past, I mean, we have uh, we have that sensitivity, that sensitivity where how the foreigners come and, and advise the government and help the government. Um, the way that there is no major issue with governance for growth with the governments, it would seems to me that we are doing the right things. Yeah, uh, and one of the things that I have singled out, I think, it's a principle agreement that you know, for governance for growth to help government fulfilling its development aspirations. And I think it is what we are exactly doing. We are not taking the front line. We are not uh, pushing the government, but helping the government articulate what they want and how they can do it and how uh, they're going to achieve the, what they wanted. So I think that's basically in a nutshell um, what, uh, what we see um, uh, from the governance for growth. So thank you for opportunity. All right, so, um, so that was uh, Gregoire. Um, now we'll hear from um, Jennifer Kalpo-Castuan and um, Clinton um, Popke. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jennifer Kalpo-Castuan. I am the Senior Program Manager at the Governance for Growth Program, and I have been um, in this role uh, now for um, almost 10 years. Um, I'd just like to say thank you for the opportunity um, to talk at this event. Um, and. I apologise that um, Clinton and I can't be there today to join you and to be a part of the discussions, but um, we look forward to hearing back from uh, the outcomes. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Clinton Popke. I'm the uh, director of the Governance for Growth Program, and I, I started in this role in April this year. Uh, I'd just like to take this chance to say thank you to Bob and Jono for uh, all the work they did on this review. It's extremely useful um, for us as we finalise the redesign of the G4G program phase three. I'll let Jen um, kick off um, on the discussion today about uh, relationships. So just a couple of reflections about the, the way that we manage our relationships here in the GFG program. And, and I'd like to start with, um, with pointing to the importance of the local staff, our locally engaged staff, and, and their um, part in the continuity of the, of the relationships that we have. Um, the um, you know we go through a cycle of directors every couple every three years. Um, we're up to our fourth director now, and and the local staff um, are fundamental to the to the maintenance of that of that relationship, the core relationships that this program has, and our relationships are important because they are the things that um, that give us credibility and they give us. Um, um, you know the the kind of the the authority to operate in a space where we're so close and so embedded with our partners. Um, I think our local staff uh, um, manage also uh, operating in a very small environment. Um, it means that there are additional pressures that um, we are able to um, assist in buffering um, and and you know helping the director with. Um, 
uh, when engaging with our with our partners. Um, but it also means that we're um, we're constantly balancing um, um, how we interact with our with p the people that we um, relate the most with in Vanuatu here and and with our um, with the, with working with for a foreign government uh, agency. Um, at last count, I think we have about 11 partners that we work with in the in the GFG program. They are wide and diverse, um, and we do this without um, the comfort of a managing contract. And I say comfort because I think there are other parts um, in the bilateral program here and, and elsewhere um, in the region where DFAT operates where the managing contractor model um, takes away a, a great deal of the administrative burden of providing this kind of support. We are co-located, we're directly um, embedded inside the organisations that we work with um, and we do um, the whole sweep of things from policy to, to invoices. Um, and so we, um, that can sometimes be challenging, especially when we're, we're managing a whole range of, of different partners. Um, I think a key part of the way that we manage our relationships is our ability to be flexible, to adjust and to adapt, to meet the different me um, requirements and the needs of the various partners that we have. Um, it's about understanding the political economy, the context that we operate in. And so we're constantly changing the way we pitch our approaches and and modifying them to, to what's appropriate for the level that we're, in, um, we're engaging with. Um, and whilst this might be, this might sound like, well, that's, just, that's the way it is with, with all of the aid program, I think the difference in the GFG program is that this is done on a more constant and continuous basis. So we're interacting continuously uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and, and often, you know, not, not even through electronic mail or phone calls. This is face-to-face -face interaction and it, it speaks to the level of trust that we have with our partners. Um, in, in that they feel that they are comfortable enough to just walk into our offices whenever they need to uh, and have frank uh, um, conversations with us. Um, so just a little bit about the maturity in the relationships that we have. Like I said, we've been around for now for about 10 years, um, and that means that um, our approaches don't remain the same. Um, we adjust the approach and we adjust the kinds of things, the activities that we fund and what we can and can't do with our partners based on how mature that relationship has evolved and has become. Um, for instance, with, our, with the regulators, with the telecom and the utilities regulator, that, um, the type of support we used to provide to them has now changed um, and that speaks to the maturity of the relationship and, and, and of course the, the kinds of things that we can do have also changed. Um, we have very mature relationships with people, long-term partners um, who, we've been, who we've been supporting for more than 20 years, such as the Ministry of Finance and Economic Management, where the maturity in that relationship is about the level of trust and the level of um, freedom to speak freely and, and the amount of openness that we, we have, the dialogue that we share, which is not, um, which is not the same for other parts of the other parts of the of DFAT, other parts of the bilateral program um, with core, core and central partners such as MFEM and the Prime Minister's office. Um, we're a highly visible program, um, and so we're often um, required to take very high risks and we have to uh, maintain a very clear balance between um, operating with bureaucrats and sometimes operating with, with the politicians. Um, and it's often a fine line to tread and, and it just means that we are constantly checking ourselves, we are constantly readjusting our approach, we are constantly um, uh, checking on the way that we, we say things, how we do things and what we can and can't do. Uh, and sometimes that means that we have to um, 
we have to invest or we have to support um, um, things that we might not normally do, but it's you know in order to for for a greater gain um, um, further down. Um, and I guess that's a, a little bit about managing expectations as well. Um, we have um, uh, new partners um, approaching us all the time, but at the same time we're maintaining longer-term relationships, and it means that um, we have to uh, constantly manage. Um, um, the understanding, I guess, from our partner's point of view of, of what the mandate for GFG is, um, that we're not like a traditional aid program, we're not, um, we're not, an, aid, um, we're not an ATM machine, I guess. Um, we don't just um, um, hand out money, we actually operate more in the policy and reform space, um, and we have to continuously um, pitch ourselves that way, we have to continuously remind um, our new partners, and that sometimes that means having very, very difficult conversations, but I guess the, the strength um, in our ability to have a difficult conversation is in, in our credibility as an organisation that we've proven ourselves to be a trusted long-term partner so that we can have the difficult conversations when they need to be had and that GFG does provide that function not just for ourselves but for other parts of the bilateral um, program as well. Great. Thanks for that, Jen. Um, I'll just uh, ref reflect very briefly on um, a few of the thoughts that Jen's raised from, from my perspective as an incoming director of the program. Um, and Jen mentioned continuity and the importance of uh, LES to that, and I'll definitely, from my experience, support that. Um, they're invaluable in, in kind of maintaining that institutional knowledge, personal knowledge, political knowledge, and institutional knowledge. Beyond that, um, I guess uh, I was fortunate uh, in my predecessor, Matthew, um, was able to build up a tremendous amount of uh, trust and goodwill with, with partners here and, and was able to give me t introductions to many of them. And so that, that kind of meant from, so from day one I came in with a quite broad range of, of contacts that obviously there's at that stage still shallow new relationships, um, but but their their seed is kind of there, and then it's, it's been up to me to sort of work in uh, to deepen those relationships, sort of in, in my own way and with the own own sort of way that I, I interact here, and, and it's never the same between any two directors. Um, the other uh, good point generator just touched on is in that differentiation from the bilateral aid program. Um, the very important difference um, I've seen in my time here is just the kind of opportunity you have for to be in the project, sorry, the policy uh, development space, um, and and indeed in the brokering space. And so you can sort of participate in the development of policy, or you can match people up given your knowledge of the system, and, and often in things that you won't even end up funding. But given the sorts of conversations you have. Um, you have the the chance, hopefully, to sort of improve the the calibre of um, policy debate that goes on. This sort of um, you know leaves you sometimes in a bit of a strange space, and that you still, when it comes to expending Australian ODA, you still carry all of the same sort of expectations that um, any other part of the aid program would have, and so you sort of have a, a little bit of, of a sometimes ambiguous line between being an agent of the bilateral aid 
program and, and being a more independent program co-located within the Vanuatu government. Just um, briefly on some of the challenges and opportunities I've seen with the program since coming here. In, in some ways, it's a, quite an exciting time. There's a relatively stable and reform-minded government. Um, so that means there's, there's a lot of the sorts of reforms and projects being debated at high levels of government that um, fit naturally within governance for growth's mandate. Uh, I think the challenge on the partner government side is that the reality is they are still a, a small, often under-resourced bureaucracy, and they already have very broad responsibilities. And so actually delivering on, on government expectation is, is a big challenge for them and a big challenge for us to find the best way to support. Um, the other challenge, I guess, is on, on maintaining the degree of flexibility that partners desire from us, uh, the impression I guess from the reviews and, and from speaking with past directors, is that as a sort of quality assurance measures and fiduciary risk measures and other things like that have evolved in AusAid and DFAT over the last 10 years, the sort of flexibility that we promise to partners has become significantly more resource intensive to actually deliver. And that's just the reality, I think, of the business, um, but, it, but it's one that we need to keep looking for new ways of managing. So I think that's all that I really wanted to touch on. Jen, was there anything else you wanted to jump in with? No, nope. that's it. Okay, well, well thank you. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we just wish you all the best with the, today's proceedings and, and really look forward to uh, getting a download of everything later on. Thanks very much. Bye. Great. All right, so that's um, all the speakers from Vanuatu. Uh, I guess apologies, I, I realise that a uh, pre-recorded presentation is not the most interactive um, of, of um, media, but we did think it was important to have speakers um, from Vanuatu as part of the program. Um, so Bob Warner will now present um, the second review that uh, was mentioned. Just the... All right, I've had instructions to sprint for the finishing post, so we'll see how quickly I can do this. And also, I do apologise, there's been a bit of false pretenses. The program promised to Jonathan Goy, unfortunately can't come, so you're going to have to put up with a double dose of me, uh, poor you. Um, so, we've heard a lot about how GFG has worked, and uh, quite a lot of kudos for the clever way that it was designed. But the ultimate test of any kind of program that's working in the policy space is, did it do anything useful? Um, and that was the question that we, in our review, were asked to address. And, and I guess the short answer is, yes, uh, it did, but with some important caveats. I, I was going to present this presentation as being a story of two buts, um, that we had significant interaction on the growth agenda, but with some important things that were omitted and some questions that remain about what was being done. And similarly on the public finance management, important things done, but with a rather bigger set of questions around whether it really uh, delivered improvements in service delivery. So over the last 10 years, GFG's purpose has been to generate economic growth and improve service delivery through good governance. It's been expected to deliver results in two areas, which Matt has already alluded to making Vanuatu's policy framework more supportive of durable, equitable and broad-based growth and improving the quality of Vanuatu's public expenditure and its management. So as I say, the answer to the question, has it done anything useful? I think 
you can say unequivocally yes, but there are some caveats. Um, so I'm going to address both of these two agendas separately. I mean, you could make a case that in some cases there's really important interactions between what is done in service delivery and in what is done to try and create a, a supportive environment for growth, but I'll deal with them separately. And that's also partly a function of the fact that I'm having to give Jonathan's presentation as well as my own. Um, so GFG's growth, uh, work on growth has been predicated on the view that regulatory reform, better sectoral policies and improved governments are prerequisites for growth, particularly where those things impact on business costs and access to resources and inputs. As Matt and Pablo have pointed out, the agenda has been driven very much by local reform priorities, but those priorities themselves, I think, have been pretty strongly informed by quite a large amount of analytical work that was done by international agencies, including DFAT Jose, and also by researchers such as Ron Duncan, who's looked quite hard at impediments to growth in places like Vanuatu. And that work, I guess, identifies three categories of constraints that really had to be thought about. First of them I call the reality check constraints, which is just geography. Vanuatu's small, it's, uh, it's distant from markets and it's geographically fragmented. It's also vulnerable for natural disasters, which are a real killer for, for sustained growth. The second area of, of factors is what I call the three C's, the way in which culture, custom and the formal legal and political systems interact to generate the nature of governance and political behaviour. And then thirdly, it's the sort of issues that are amenable to more conventional social and economic policy, um, such as infrastructure, physical and electronic connectivity, regulation of natural monopolies, investment in human capital, access to land, financial services, the legal and judicial underpinnings of market transactions, and governance and management of SOEs. Now, GFG basically focused on issues in Category 3, but the way that it worked also had some implications for issues in, in Category 2. It, uh, it had to deal with the domestic political economy context, but by dealing with it, it also had impacts on it. Okay, so what worked well and what didn't? Well, Pablo and Gregoire have also pointed out, as everybody knows, um, GFG did some really interesting work in telecommunications. Uh, and some of the estimates that I've seen suggest that that was such a significant impact on the economy that GDP was 1% higher than it otherwise would have been. I don't know quite how that number was produced, but, but I wouldn't doubt that, that given how transformative making mobile telephony accessible to large numbers of people uh, is, I, I think it probably would have quite an important imp impact on, on the economy. Um, GFG also worked on electricity reform uh, and uh, has worked to try and reduce the cost of electricity and, and break the stranglehold that the local monopolies have had on electricity generation in in Port Vila and Lugaville, but also to try and work on developing policies and implementing policies for rural electrification so that rather more than the 33% of the population that previously had access to electricity finally got some power. Um, GFG also has done some early work in aviation liberalisation, um, 
particularly opening up the market to, to competition from, from other providers of, of aviation services. It's also doing some interesting work in ports to improve the management and efficiency, particularly of Port Vila. Um, and it also was able to capitalise on the opportunities created by the telecommunications reforms to support some quite innovative approaches to access to finance. The, the Development Bank in, in Vanuatu introduced um, mobile banking and, and increased access to financial services quite considerably. And I think, as Pablo pointed out, had a particular impact on access to financial services for women. Um, GFG has also done quite useful work on trade policy and almost accidentally it did some quite useful work on transport infrastructure because I understand it had to take over carriage of another program that, that OSAID had working on transport infrastructure. So it had important impacts on business input costs and barriers to economic interaction with the rest of the world and within the country. And there also were some important growth-related spillovers from the work on public financial management, particularly the work on customs and tax administration, which I guess made working with the taxation system much easier. Um, and also there was work which I'll talk about on improving the flow of public funds into uh, rural areas and outlying areas, uh, outlying islands. So what was less productive? Well, Matt's already alluded to the fact that despite a long uh, and tortuous attempt, GFG didn't make much progress with reforms of state and enterprises. Now we could speculate as to why it was that GFG could bring about transformative change with some utilities like power and telecommunications, but struggled with uh, state-owned enterprises that were, for example, responsible for managing airports. Um, and unfortunately, both of those state-owned enterprises had quite important implications for the well-being of the majority of people because commodity marking impinges on the livelihoods of majority of the people of, of Vanuatu and tourism is terribly dependent on having airports that you can actually land an aeroplane at. Um, the other thing which I found a bit surprising about um, GFG was for a growth-focused program, its interaction with the private sector was, I have to say, pretty ordinary. Um, uh, and once again, we, we might be able to speculate as to some of the reasons why it was so difficult. Uh, not so much for GFG to have a stronger interaction with the private sector, but why it was not able to enable and encourage the government to have a stronger interaction with the private sector. Um, and you can see some of the consequences of that as the government is now trying to introduce an income tax. The, it's been a pretty factious kind of process, I guess, of trying to socialise the idea that an income tax is a good thing um, for, for Vanuatu. Okay. And beside the things that didn't quite work as well, there are, to my mind, there's a number of questions that still remain. Um, GFG was meant to be delivering broad-based and equitable growth, and yet it really didn't work very much at all on inclusivity. Um, it focused on economy-wide issues. There was limited direct engagement on gender and locational dimensions of inequality. Now, some analysis that was done by uh, Chakri Bowman pointed out that even those conventional kind of constraints on business operation in Vanuatu, that sort of things that the doing business indicators focus on, had quite a strong have quite a strong differential impact on women's entrepreneur women entrepreneurs. So it's not as if it didn't deliver any benefits for for, for um, women's engagement in the economy, but it, GFG really didn't take a specific position and develop an analytical framework for thinking about those issues of, of inclusivity. Sustainability, well, 
when you have programs whose continued benefits depend upon the functioning of specialised independent institutions in a really small capacity constrained economy, a country like Vanuatu, there are questions about how long those things can continue if they diminishes. And I think it's important to, to recognise that DFAT and other donors are now thinking differently about questions of sustainability in, in small island economies. And then finally, I think what GFG did was to address what I would say were the necessary policy preconditions for growth to occur in Vanuatu, but are they sufficient to generate growth? And I think that's a moot point, um, which we could talk about later. Okay, now I'm going to draw my Jonathan Goy hat. Um, at least I'll try to. Um, so GFG's approach to public finance and service delivery, well, once again, it was aligned very much with the priorities of bureaucratic leadership and from time to time with the political leaders. I guess it's always the nature of working in public finance management reforms that you've got your, your what do I call them, your um, aficionados in ministries of finance who get very excited about PFM reforms. It's very hard to get politicians to get terribly excited, except when it stops them doing the things they want to do. Um, it also took a long-term approach to capacity constraints, um, and it emphasised what was technically and politically feasible. You know, as Matthew pointed out, it, it eschewed the notion that what Vanuatu needed was best practice PFM systems. It said, what's really important, what can we do, given capacity and what the political appetite is. And I think that, in some senses, once again, GFG was a precursor to what we see now in, as, as kind of the conventional wisdom on how you go about doing public finance management reforms in, in, in the Pacific. It worked mainly with central agencies. It focused a lot on aggregate and specific controls of government finances. It tried to improve the quality of expenditure planning, and it worked on the administration of internal and customs taxes. Um, so what worked well? Well, um, and I think both Gregoire and uh, and Jennifer alluded to this, the capacity in the Ministry of Finance has been substantially expanded to the point now where the Ministry does not have any long-term international advisors. It has enough capacity within itself to discharge its responsibilities. Um, it, GFG's work on financial controls, things like financial management information systems and so on, helped create fiscal space because it enabled the Ministry of Finance to actually control expenditure and so deliver on fiscal stability. Two really important initiatives which I think are worth highlighting. One is that GFG oversaw the introduction of mechanisms to fund schools. So by enabling grants to go directly to schools, it made it possible for Vanuatu to try to deliver on its policy of fee-free primary education for everybody. And then finally, a really, another really important initiative was its creation of Financial Services Bureau, which were basically offshoots of the Ministry of Finance in every province, that provided services to line agencies and also to the people and contractors working in those areas to enable them to interact with things like approval of, um, of expenditures, actually cashing of, or cutting of cheques, um, and helping with things like payroll. This had quite an important impact, both in terms of service delivery, but also in actually getting money flowing into the outlying areas of the country. Previously, everything was sort of caught, and caught up in, in, in Port Vila. Um, so 
Jonathan was very polite. He said, what's work outstanding? I would say things that weren't really addressed as well as you would have hoped, given the P focus on PFM for service delivery. Um, GFG hasn't made a great deal of progress on payroll budgeting, and that's important because lack of control over payroll, particularly non-wage costs, has meant that um, budgets for operational expenditures get squeezed. It's a pretty standard kind of problem. So if you can't control your, your payroll, it means it's very hard to deliver services, and we haven't really made progress on that. Similarly, the use of these financial service bureaus is still pretty limited, and so that getting the flow of funds, government funds out into outlying areas, still could be improved significantly. I think an important area where GFG has not had much of a footprint and not much of an impact is in these linked things of public investment management and the management of procurement through external debt. GFG has not really been able to interact with the politically sensitive debt-funded projects that the government has been interested in, in, in working on. And so um, some important problems remain there uh, and GFG hasn't found a way of dealing with what is a really significant political data. And then finally, GFG did quite a lot of work with the Office of the Auditor General, um, but it didn't really generate much in the way in terms of efforts to improve the quality of spending. There didn't seem to be much of an appetite in the Parliamentary Accounts Committee or anywhere else to use the work of the Auditor General to generate critiques of how the money, money was being used. But perhaps the most important caveat that I would place on, on GFG's work in public finance is that it didn't work very much with line agencies. And if what you're trying to do is to improve service delivery, if all you're doing is messing around with the Ministry of Finance and you're not helping line ministries to improve their own systems and to interact better with the holders of the cash, then it's going to be hard to get really significant improvements in service delivery. Now, in its early manifestations, I think GFG did work. Uh, it had a, uh, an embedded PFM advisor who tried to work with uh, DFAT, other DFAT programs and other donors programs working with line agencies to try and get coherence in what was being done in reforming systems. But that tailed off, and I think that's partly because of resource, resource constraints. Um, well, I can stop there. Thanks very much, Bob. Okay, so we've got um, not as much time as I would have liked, but some time for questions. Um, we might take a few if we have a few. And um, if you can um, introduce yourself, please do keep your question um, brief. Uh, and also it would be helpful if you could um, direct your question to, to one of the panellists, um, if that's possible. Um, please raise your hand if you do have a question. Yes, please. Good afternoon, my name is in terms of um, having been working on working in government as well, there's been a lot of changes in, um, in government. Um, what were some of the challenges that um, GFG had faced and what were some of the ways that you used um, to try and make sure that GFG had um, 
achieve the goals and the purpose, its purpose in um, helping Vanuatu um, in its economic reform. Um, because I know that um, politicians, when new politicians come in, it's really hard on um, on programs or aid programs to actually go forward with what they have um, set before them. Good, thank you. Thank you very much. And if you could just hold off on responding for now. Are there any other questions? Um, there's a one that suddenly set the question from this on Charlie Jim. I'm a DFAT. I'm starting a posting in uh, Vanuatu as a, a head political unit uh, next year. Um, and it's just about because the politics of, of, of the, the program and having been working on PNG issues for the last uh, three years, uh, we've seen uh, embedded officers actually told to go uh, in, in amongst a, a, a sort of political backlash, and obviously the relationship to PNGs probably a, a lot more touchy than it is with Vanuatu. But I do want to hear what Matt and Pablo have to have to say about that kind of risk of, of uh, you know, political pushback and, and how how that works. Great. Um, and uh, one at the back. Yeah, my name is Tasmanian Kane. I'm a visiting fellow to the Development Policy Centre, but I'm also a citizen of Vanuatu. My question is for I find myself in a very unusual position where I want to stand up for de facto work in Vanuatu. Um, my question is we heard a lot about how GFG is is an, an outside agency or dis I can't remember the term, the term that Matt used for it. But it's still part of a bilateral program. And so, to what extent do you feel there is opportunity for other people within the bilateral program in Vanuatu to be getting behind what GFG has been doing? Because there are plenty of DFAT funded programs that sit in these line agencies that aren't making use of. The FSBs and the other things that the Ministry of Finance has put in. And surely there comes a point where, you know, Clinton should be saying to his mates up in that nice building next to Parliament House, well, come on, you know, get behind what we're doing and get in there and, and pitch for this because we think it's good and we think, and Mark can talk about this much better than I can, you know, the FSBs do have great potential for service delivery and economic, and just driver economic growth. And, you know, why aren't, why aren't Clinton's mates um, up in the High Commission doing their bit through the managing contractors and the programs that they're looking after? Okay, fantastic. Well, um, would Matt or Pablo like to begin? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, um, firstly, Essendon. Um, so, it would be an uh, easy response for me. I was pretty lucky because, um, you know, I was in Vanuatu a period of um, quite high we only had one prime minister that I had to deal with, Edward um, Matapay, and one finance minister, Sir Melissa, uh, who were both very um, supportive of, of the work that GFG had been doing, uh, mainly because of those very quick early wins uh, around the, the telco reform. So um, I didn't have the issue that you know, my successor faced with the rapid succession. <coughs> Excellent, thank you. Um, I think it's a, it's always a battle um, because the stuff that that we do through a program like DFG is a little bit is harder than 
than some other um, parts of the ad program in terms of how you um, explain to people what you're doing. You know, we don't have things like um, you know a road that you can look at and see that we built this road or, or we built this school or whatever. So it is much more an effort in terms of having systems in place through the program to actually um, know what you're achieving um, and have that information ready to be used when, even when uh, you know, new politicians, uh, new new ministers, or whatever want to talk about it. The other way, the other key part about the way that we work is to is to have that support at the senior officials level, um, so that when um, a new finance minister comes in, um, which can happen quite regularly, um, that the, the the people that are briefing him. Um, in, in the ministry are the ones often that are making the case for what we're doing. Um, we don't necessarily have to go in there and you know, tell them a lot of things we're doing. Um, they might want to know what GFG is doing, but um, often a lot of that legwork's done by, by our counterparts, and that's part of, I guess, the strategy of, 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 of um, really investing in those relationships because they're the ones that tend to be more stable. Um, you can get changes at those senior levels of ministries, but it tends to be much more stable than the political level. Um, so yeah, I haven't had, we, you know, of course you get the questions, but I haven't had a situation where um, a particular new minister's come in and sort of um, been unsatisfied or, or you know, um, and I think part of that is because of the work we do with the officials. Um, and, and not work, but I mean, basically the, the relationship we have with them, the, the understanding that they have of what we do and what we're helping them to achieve. Um, on the embedded, on Charlie's question, Probably uh, might have a view, but um, certainly Vanuatu has had things like that. Um, they did have the expulsion of the AFP officers, um, which was a which was a big deal at the time. Um, so obviously that 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 that's always a possibility. Um, I think that if uh, if that if that question came up, I, I suspect that you know it would be something the Highcom would have to kind of get get ahead of pretty quickly. The, the AFP one was a particular example, like it was a specific, you know, like quite a specific example. I'm not saying it could never happen again, but there's a reason why it was the AFP that were, were targeted, you know, around a particular incident that happened. Um, it's not something that we've sort of ever had any, any issues with. And I guess, again, it's that trust at that senior official's level. You're relying on that quite a bit. Um, of course, some of those people can move or they can be a bit, um, I guess they can be a bit unreliable sometimes as well. Um, I think that you know, the best we can do is really have that strong understanding that's shared at that senior level um, so that you know, those types of questions when they come up are able to be dealt with and not, not by us. If we have to answer the question and we're in trouble, basically. Um, you know, if the question comes up, that's sort of, you know, that, that's, that's the problem in the first instance. So, and I know I've, I've heard people tell me that the question has come up, just often a, a curious kind of, you know, you know, who are these guys kind of thing from someone who's just come in and doesn't, you know, and it's about having that relationship with them and the understanding that they have. So I guess yeah, to handle you to handle basically. You, know, you just go, you've got to handle that. Like we don't want to have a conversation. So. Yeah, I think, um, Charlie, I think very uh, important um, reason why the GFG used to be an early part of its existence and was so acceptable was because I think there was a real sense of ownership on the part of the government. Like, oh, this was actually their program. And, uh, Rather than uh, part of the Australian aid program, which they working in the Prime Minister's office, in a real sense that you know, GFG was there for Vanuatu to, you know, not just to be able to use, but actually to direct and own. And so, obviously, um, in that sense, uh, it's, it's a lot harder, you know, when 
it's going to be a tricky sort of genesis something that's important. Um, and yeah, as Matt said, you know, with that AFP experience, very important to achieve yourself. Um, thanks, Tess. Um, Matt might be in a better position to answer this question than I can, but, but I'll have a crack at it. Um, it seems to me it, that part of what you observe might be the kind of flip side of the coin of, of GFG's important co-location in the Prime Minister's office. It means that the Director is not back in the High Commission banging heads together. Uh, and you know, we talk about the importance of personal relationships in the interaction with the government of Vanuatu. My guess is that personal relationships within the High Commission are equally important. Unless you're able to express to people, uh, the managers of those programs, the importance of taking account of what another program is doing and telling the managing contractors that they can't go their own way, they have to toe the party line with respect to the use of these facilities that have been developed by the, the Ministry of Finance, it's quite difficult to make that happen. Um, so it seems to me that uh, it's partly explained by factors that drive the success of GFG. Another thing that we observed in, in, our, um, in our review was that communication of what GFG had been supporting was, I wouldn't say deficient, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't very, very, was an important part of what, what GFG did. Now, once again, partly that's a function of it was sitting behind the, the government of, of Vanuatu, and it shouldn't have been out there thumping the drum saying we're doing wonderful things, but it should have been encouraging the ministries and the politicians of all possible to try and tell the story a bit better than it did. It sort of assumed that we make a really good reform, if it works, that's fine, that's all that's required. But as you're pointing out, to actually make use of some of the reforms, you need rather more than just simply saying they're there. So I think communications could be an important thing for the third phase to think about doing better. And then also the modality, how, how do you get uh, an interaction between two types of DFAT programs when one of them is, is not sitting in the High Commission but is working away in the Prime Minister's office and doesn't have the sort of day-to-day -day interaction with the other programs? I'd just add a couple of things. One would be that um, it's something that I think we struggle with in the aid program everywhere. Um, it's not for whatever reason. I think it's the same reason that ministries of finance are always fighting with you know, line ministries. Is that you know, the ministry of, the ministry of finance is mind it's always the line ministry's fault. They're hopeless. They can't manage anything. In the line ministry's fault, it's always the, the terrible ministry of finance that, that's not giving them enough money or. Yeah, and I think a similar dynamic develops in, in, in the way that we manage our aid programs sometimes. Um, so the, you know, the work, our work is always going to, and it should be always focused with the, you know, because that's our mandate and that's how, that's where our partnerships are, our relationships are with the central agencies. Um, but so how we connect up, how we connect up a, you know, how various, and we are, we are doing financial management stuff in, in each of the line ministries and, and just over the, over the years, we haven't really um, managed to. Well, I mean, I think we've had various goes at it, but we haven't managed to crack that sort of problem of how do you bring them together and make the, yeah, make them all, I guess, all sing off the same hymn sheet, or at least to a point, you know, sort of be pursuing you know, the same objectives. And then, how do you make them greater than the sum of their parts? And that's been something that, well, something that I struggled with for the whole time I was there. Um, had a question here? Yes, I'm Paula Chatterton, I'm from Management Policy and Guidance at Austrac, but I'm also doing my PhD in anti-money laundering regulation. 
looking at the data that we generated. So my interest today is for, um, we spoke a little bit about access to finance and financial, or financial inclusion type topics. And I'm just curious to know a little bit more about what might be happening with the GFG in terms of bank delisting, which is a, a real issue for many countries in the Pacific and for which I know Australia has had some funding in terms of the Pacific corridors and inferring finances between remittances between Australia and New Zealand and our Pacific neighbours. Thank you, Admiral. Yeah, uh, that's a question for Bob. It, it was concerning, as you said, that there's not, not the sufficient interaction with the private sector, because after all, it's the private sector that drives growth and it, you know, it comes from investment and innovation. And in that respect, I didn't get much of a, much of a sense of, of priorities here. You know, has, has there been any sort of binding constraints analysis to work out what, you know, what are the constraints and what are the most binding, and therefore, where should you know, all, most, if not all the effort be focused? Because no use focusing on a whole lot of things when you're not concentrating on the binding constraints. All right, I might hand over to our speakers just if you could wrap up very briefly. Yeah. Um, I'll take the question on um, on de-risking. Um, yeah. So there's two, oh, very quickly, there's two parts, I think, to, to, to sort of what we're doing. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a part that we're doing regionally, um, which is, includes work through the Austrac funding, the Austrac um, risk, risk corridor assessment. Um, it's uh, going to be launched quite soon, I think. In Vanuatu, the, the main, I guess, the main piece of work that GFG has been helping with recently that's related to that is the work around their financial action task force greatlisting. Because obviously, you know, pretty big de-risking happening there if you go onto the blacklist. Um, so that's going to affect um, people that want to send money back to Vanuatu. So um, GFG has been helping with the Attorney General's department in particular um, to help uh, working to help um, Vanuatu sort of basically comply with its um, financial action task force action plan um, in order to get themselves off the grade. So it's sort of um, progressing quite well now, I think. It was pretty hairy early on. Um, but I think most recently they've uh, Vanuatu stayed on, they're still on the grade list, but if, if they can get a number of things done by early next year, then there's a good chance they'll, they'll go off that grade list. Um, regionally though, we've been, obviously we've been working a lot to try and reduce the cost of remittances and you know, for a long time our main investment was Send Money Pacific, you know, the information website, but more recently we've um, done this we've done this risk corridor assessment with Austrac and we're, we're doing it we're discussing a range of follow-up work with Austrac to sort of use that report and capacity you know, training with sort of financial intelligence units across the region um, and we're also doing some work with the IMF around um, uh, de-risking and kind of, um, you know, they're looking to do some events in the region next, early next year, aiming to bring together money transfer operators and um, banks and, and other financial service providers to try and, I guess, um, yeah, to, to, to try and sort of work out a, you know, some, some, some solutions that they can actually help implement. So we're doing a, a range of things regionally, and in Vanuatu, you know, probably the most relevant things that is the fact of work yeah. you know, to help to avoid help Vanuatu going into the blacklist. Okay. Uh, Bob, did you want to respond to Ron? Yes, sure. Um, when we did our review, we had an explicit look at all the work that had been done on, on 
growth in Vanuatu. And there is quite an extensive literature, but I think it's fair to say that, apart from your own work, Ron, that, that sort of delved down, I guess, into the political economy constraints for growth, most of the other analyses tended not to prioritise. Um, and also, I thought, tended not to say, okay, if this is a problem, how do we go about dealing with it in this particular context? And I think it's probably fair to say that a lot of that analysis informed um, the choice of things to work on. Uh, I think you know, GFG worked on telecommunications and energy because there'd been a lot of prior work done by the World Bank and other agencies, which sort of paved the way for um, understanding what might be feasible and what might be done, and also identifying there were pretty critical barriers, to, you know, connectivity and, and access to, to, to affordable electricity, pretty important constraints in, in high cost um, uh, island economies. But in terms of a, uh, a sense of what specifically is worked on, I think that was very much uh, a mix of what do we understand of being important constraints and what do we have an opportunity to work on. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that there was a, a really deep kind of analytical process that said do this, do this and do this. It was here's a menu of things that could deliver useful uh, outcomes and by the way, is there interest, is there support within the bureaucracy and the political processes for working on them? Do you think it's a fair characterisation? Uh, Pablo, did you have any final comments? Or? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I mean, um, I think there's some question about prior and second part. I mean, it's um, a fair point. And I know in, in, in later programs, it's just a very large growth programs. Sometimes it is a bit difficult to sort of get um, 
this uh, structured kind of view out from the Dutch Chamber of Commerce at the time. And then I think the relationship definitely improved a lot with the government. So I think there might be an opportunity to do that more constructively and more usefully through GFT in the future. But it was a bit of a struggle uh, during my time. Um, very quickly. Very, very, very I think what Matt was politely saying is that a lot of the private sector is dominated by what I would call grumpy white folks, who are often engaged in very shady business activities. So it's really hard to have a dialogue when that is the face of the organised private sector. Right, well, on that note, um, <laughs> um, uh, both reviews are available um, on the web, and we've provided links to them in our promotion of this event. So please um, do have a look at them if you're interested, and um, please join me in thanking our speakers. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea, the Pacific and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.